You're listening to the H Society Podcast, presented by Hurex Digital, a weekly podcast featuring prominent thought leaders in the world of professional societies, associations, and nonprofit organizations. Discover actionable ways these people are making their organizations valuable for their members through digital technology, publishing, and continuous education. No fluff. Tune in to hear best practices and tactical solutions from the best thought leaders and practitioners in the association and nonprofit world today. Welcome to the latest episode of the H Society by Herex Digital. We hope this will be a thought-provoking and entertaining series. I'll be your host of the series. My name is Scott Hansen, and I head the Boston office of Herex Digital. I'm the AVP for our society and association clients. But before we get going, I want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by Kitabu.com, a cloud-based content platform to create, publish, and distribute interactive mobile-ready content. By the way, you might be wondering, what does Kitabu mean? It's a, a word for book in a variety of languages, including Hindi. So today's guest is Michelle Dominiak. And Michelle is the Managing Director of Publications at the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. That's when it's, you can't say too fast, AIAA. Uh, Michelle oversees the publication program and sales. And Michelle and I have known each other for, oh, give or take a year, 10 years or so. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Scott, thank you so much for having me. And from here on out, I will be referring to you as Scotty because I don't think I'll be able to stop myself. So if you don't mind, that can always be edited uh, that, out. Oh, that's fine. Uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. It was either that or Mr. Hansen, but I'm old enough, so we don't have to go there. So, uh, Michelle, I think, um, well, I really think today uh, this should be very interesting. Could you first just give us a, an overview of AIAA and, you know, what it's about and uh, your, what your members are about and do? I think that'd be interesting. Alrighty, sir. I appreciate it. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, AIAA was thrilled and I'm thrilled and any opportunity I get to to shoot the breeze with you, I'm always happy to do. So this just happens to be a little bit of a little bit of job mixed in with fun, or hopefully a little bit of job mixed in with a whole lot of fun. So I'd like to warn your listeners that this will probably be more entertaining, hopefully, uh, than thought provoking. But either way, we'll get a little bit of a little bit of both in there. So the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, uh, staff refers to it as AIAA. So if you hear me <laughs> rattle that off my tongue, that's what we're going with. So AIAA is the world's largest aerospace technical society. We have close to 30,000 individual members uh, in 91 countries. We have 100 corporate members. And essentially all of those folks, the aerospace community, the aviation, aviation community, we bring together the industry, the academia, the government to advance engineering and science in aviation, space, and defense. I would say our mission I would not say our mission is, um, is simply to help aerospace professionals and their organizations succeed. And we do that by connecting, engaging, and educating our members, both corporate and individuals. And we provide them with resources, publications, which of course you and I will chat about, um, continuing education and events and forums, uh, both online and in person 
more online uh, due to recent events. And, you know, we were started back in 1960, we were formed in 1963 out of two separate societies, both formed in the early 30s, the American Rocket Society and the Institute of Aerospace Sciences. Uh, we like to brag that um, anybody who's anyone has been an AIAA member in there, well, anyone who's any, anyone and everyone who is a big name in aerospace uh, and aviation has been an AIAA member or one of our predecessor society members. So it's, it's an impressive list. So uh, 1963, I guess that was tied in with um, was the Mercury Space Program. Did that help sort of get it going in that direction? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't know the reason why the two organizations merged. Uh, we have a great historical, I probably should know this. Bala, you may want to edit this one out. Um, we, had, uh, we have a great um, historical um, timeline and lots of detailed information on our website for those who are really interested. But to be honest, Scott, I'm not entirely sure that that had much to do with the, the actual formation. It may have been more of a, a resource time to, mm-hmm. time, but maybe they were both getting too big. So, and it made sense to, to form a new organization. So normally I'd say without naming names, but my question is, uh, could you give us an example of a couple of your corporate members? Is that like like Boeing and companies like that? Yeah, Boeing, Lockheed, SpaceX, uh, Blue Origin. Uh, certainly those are the names that you all are familiar with as of recent because of the fantastical things that they're doing. Uh, but and then we have smaller companies too that um, feed into the aerospace and aviation business. So all of the Northrop Grumman, all of the big, all of the big guns, and then you know the the folks that support those mm, those industries. Okay. I'm su- well. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I wasn't thinking that SpaceX and those would have been. You must have fast tracked their memberships, right? Because that's been pretty recent. Well, we are <laughs> pleased that they've been customers for quite a while of our publications and. Um, and they're always, you know, we, we always have a good pulse on upcoming and well, not that they're upcoming, but, you know, kind of who's who and doing what. So because our membership, our individual membership is pretty wide. And so uh, we always have a real good insight into what's coming. So and maybe uh, you'll have more and more. Some of your members will be going up in space with the uh, with these new groups. Wouldn't that be um, something? Yeah, like how about the managing director of publications? That's a, that would get my vote to go up. So uh, uh, there's one vote. Now, I guess I asked this question of uh, not all our guests, but um, a famous uh, association executive uh, once told me that um, there's really only one thing to keep in mind in running an association, and that is adoption, reach, and revenue. I was told it's the goal of every association and don't let anyone tell you differently. Would you care to comment on that or agree or disagree? (laughs) Well, I guess I I would probably say in some form or another, uh, that's that's not untrue. So I would also like to add or replace maybe adoption with relevance because that's one of AIAA's uh, goals is to ensure that we're relevant to our members, to the community. Because without relevance, what do you got? Mm-hmm. But you know, reach and revenue always certainly, um, and that again, that um, uh, applies to everything between individual memberships, corporate memberships, customers, publication customers, uh, the events we do. So yeah, I think that that's probably a a fair goal. 
but yeah, definitely add relevance for sure. In your um, work with your publication, so can you, like roughly how many books and journals do you guys put out? Sure, no, I appreciate you asking. So we have a flagship magazine, Aerospace America. That's uh, just about every month that that is uh, created. Um, we also have eight peer-reviewed peer journals. We publish uh, meeting papers, also known as conference proceedings, also known as technical papers. You choose your, your favorite description. And we publish roughly 4,500 meeting paper articles a year. Uh, and then we have three series in our books collection, um, education series titles, which are typically textbooks, which are textbooks. Our progress in aeronautics and astronautics, which tend to be very um, high level focused topics series. And then uh, our library of flight, which can be a little bit, which can be described a little bit more like um, kind of a general interest uh, management books, those kinds of uh, books, uh, again, all within the industry that we serve. But yeah, um, and we do eBooks and print still. Um, and then we also have a uh, standards program. So we have approximately 80 standards that we produce. So it's probably, you know, the, um, I'm just curious on some of the books, do they, do they reach a more general audience or is it strictly, strictly professional and usually within your membership that it's going uh, to? Oh, no, that's a great question. And I'm sorry, I didn't answer your question. We have roughly 400, um, 400 book titles. Uh, I would say it's both. So, um, you know, our library of flight was um, created uh, long ago for the folks who were clamoring for interest, you know, general interest books. We've published everything from quote unquote, a coffee table kinds of books where it's historical, lots of pretty pictures, those kinds of things to, um, you know, books about management. And like I said earlier, and history books for the enthusiast. So one of our best sellers actually, uh, and has been for years, it doesn't seem to ever go out of style, is Augustine's Law, uh, Norm Augustine. Mm. And um, yeah, I'd have to, I, you know what, I haven't even looked to see when that was actually published, but we, <laughs> it just keeps selling for us. And um, yeah, so a variety. So of I think um, I may be wrong because it's, you know, I'm getting old and I can't remember things as well, but I believe we met at Frankfurt Book Fair. 10, 12 years ago. And it might have been in uh, SSP, but I, I think it was Frankfurt. So I'm just curious, Frankfurt's coming up, probably, I think, for every single person I've talked to virtually again, but uh, Herix will be there. But, uh, but when you go to Frankfurt, because um, not every society and association goes, that's for sure. What's your main, are you selling rights and things when you go or? No, we actually do not do a lot of right selling, hardly any. And I leave that to, I leave that to uh, my book acquisition manager, who is uh, brilliant and uh, has more experience in that. But it's not something that we like to do. Um, we go to connect it. Well, recently, uh, in the last, I don't know, eight years or so, we go to meet with our digital vendors and, um, you know, discover new, like yourself, Scotty, um, mm -hmm. discover what's out there and what can improve our products, uh, and then meet with current customers. I, in the early years, I, when did I start going to Frankfurt? I think when I first started with AIAA back in 99, the fall of 99, I was their book salesperson. And of course, this was mm -hmm. pre-ebooks. So I was focused on book adoptions, but also 
uh, book sales to wholesalers and retailers and that kind of thing. So uh, it made sense for me to go to the book fair. Um, yeah. We went to that one. We went to London. We went to Book Expo. And, uh, you know, I would talk to, you know, that those are the days where you walk away with big book orders from, from customers. So that was the, the, the original. So I remember those days, but not anymore. And yeah. that's not, you know, not to, that's the same for everybody, but, and yeah. we will not be there. Well, we will have a booth there because we are with the American Collective stand, stand and they're fantastic and they're lovely and uh, they work hard on all of their customers, on behalf of all their customers. Uh, but I was planning on going and then the Delta variant kicked in and uh, decided that maybe this year I'll skip again. So, so will there be a, a, a life-size like cutout of you? Uh, they'll yes. put in the booth. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yes. That was part of the contract, a life-size booth, <laughs> a life-size uh, poster board. Yeah. Uh, no, that we'll just have a booth with some of our books and literature. Yeah, we're going to. Uh, I, I don't think uh, I'm going. You know, I'm much too busy with this podcast to you know go to Frankfurt this year. But no, I've, it's too bad. It's I think it's my favorite conference. Uh, and sure, you know, uh, you were in sales. You can appreciate this. It's people that would never take your phone call or respond to an email, but they're happy to meet you there. Right. And then after they meet you there, they take another year to get back to you. <laughs> So uh, anyway, that we don't need to go down that road. That's so um, I, uh, another thing I like to ask is um, the difference between working at a nonprofit and a for-profit yeah. um, and how you found that you've done both. So uh, how do you see the, and I'm not looking for uh, necessarily, you know, good and bad, just the differences and, you know, sure. because part of why we're doing this podcast is that, I feel like a lot of people I talk to at Herex, other places I've worked, fellow sales and marketing people. No, no, not everybody to me has a necessarily a complete understanding if they've never worked at one of these associations. Yeah. So, because uh, I'm surprised people will ask me questions and like, you know, why would you say that? So that's part of why I'm having people like you uh, on this to help us understand how they work and the differences. So, yeah, no, that's a really great question. And because I have been lucky enough to work uh, in both uh, when I started my um, job career, if you will, in my early twenties, I worked for Nibco, which is an Elkhart. We make, or they made um, plumbing supplies, valves uh, were their big business. But also if you go into any Home Depot, you'll see, you know, copper piping or flanges or uh, PVC piping. So um uh, and that was interesting. Uh, and then I worked for Northrop Grumman for approximately a year and a half. Great company. The, the job was interesting, but not not something I wanted to do long term, uh, which I realized in the job. So been, I've been, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to to have those experiences. Um, was, that the, uh, sorry, was that the Northrop Grumman um, uh, by BWI? No, this one is uh, this one actually is in Northern Virginia, and they have a number. They have a number of sectors. So depending on which sector you worked in, you know, depended, you know, was you know, your job was X, Y, and Z. So it's it's um, there's there's so many different flavors uh, of the things you can do with those companies. So, but uh, so yeah, I you know, I think there's a lot to learn. I'll get to your question real quick, and but swimming in my head, there's a lot that the nonprofit world or the association world can learn from for-profit. 
Um, you and I joke about this all the time. And um, for the for-profit folks that don't know, uh, you know, it, everything in the association world. Now, to be fair, AIAA is the only association that I've worked for. So I'm only yeah. from, but in talking to my colleagues that are uh, society publishers with associations, talking to the vendors that serve them, it sounds like this is a fairly fair statement, a fair statement to make. It just takes, things take longer with mm-hmm. societies. Um, in, even though it's this is a bit of an exaggeration, it's not really. Everything takes five years from first conversation to any kind of implementation, right? So some things move a little bit faster, but so so for your customers who are in the for-profit that can turn things around in four weeks, that's fantastic. And that's always the dream and goal, um, but reality for association. And there's, there's a number of reasons why that is. Um, sometimes it's, you know, our, we have to be accountable to not only our community and the members in that community, but also to our volunteers who, you know, give up their time and their efforts and their talents. It, for AIAA specifically, we are run by a lot of really smart people that are volunteering their time. Um, and so mm-hmm. we want to make sure that they're informed, that they are part of, they're with us to make these big decisions, you know, and then we got to talk about, you know, does it, does it make sense with our mission? Does it, you know, depending on what the project is, uh, can we afford it? Which is something we'll talk about later because we don't have a, a money tree in the backyard. Um, not saying that for profits do, uh, but you know, we have to be extra mindful because, you know, at the end of the day, we're here to serve our members. Yeah, and it makes sense. How, how do we do that in the best way? So, remind me, Scott. What's your What's your original question? Uh- the uh, difference difference between working at a nonprofit hmm. and a for-profit. Yeah. Um, so. I find I find also that um, culture is huge is different. Um, in the two jobs where I had a corporate job, you know, you kind of went in, you did your job. Um, you know, you had a lot of rules to follow, a lot of things you couldn't do, and and ways you couldn't speak up and provide your input. With associations, I find it's more, collab- again, my experience is usually it's more collaborative. People, uh, both staff and volunteers as, as staff really wanna hear what you have to say and, and truly consider it as opposed to just smiling and nodding, right? I mean, there's always some of that, and, but, but uh, definitely more collaborative. Um, I, I have found that out of the two, I, I really, obviously I really enjoy profit work. Plus you feel like you have a mission, like you're, you know, as opposed to just yeah, you're just not about making money and shareholding sales right. goals and all that stuff. Right, yeah. right. Like, and I'm not like saying I, that that's yeah. Right, like and the pressure that comes with that, like you know, I, that's my world, right? So, no, I've had many times. Uh, um, my boss at Herex, uh, we were visiting. Uh, I obviously I won't say it, a well-known association one day and. Had a really good meeting, met a lot of people. And I remember the, I don't know, the director or whatever uh, at the end said, you know, this is all sounds so exciting. And how do we keep the ball rolling on this? I really want to, you know, push ahead. And I was like, I can call you next week. We can set up another meeting. I'll come back in two weeks, what, you know, whatever. And And he kind of paused and said, yeah, I said, um, I'm thinking of about six months would be a good time to meet again. <laughs> yep. I mean, and I, I wasn't surprised, but I, I but I, I think, I think my boss might have been, but, um, yep. but it was, 
you know, and I know, and sometimes, not to bore you with my war stories, but I've come back after many, many meetings and to sort of wrap things up. And suddenly it's gone from Michelle and one or two colleagues to a whole room full of people that I don't know, never met, never been part of any of. And I've been like, who are all these people? <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's your job. Oh, well, they all get a vote. Right. And I'm like, but they haven't been part of this. And, um, you know, so it's, yeah. and then sometimes, I don't know at, at AIAA mm -hmm. if you do this, but I know some organizations, right? They change the executive committee every year. So if you kind of work all year to reach a decision, then suddenly you have a whole new committee and, you know, just kind of start over. So yeah, mm -hmm. it takes a, it takes a bit of patience, but this podcast is not about it's not about airing of grievances or anything <laughs> like that. So it's just like day to day. That's so, right. Workplace um, challenges. So uh, follow a little follow up to that. How about the budgeting process uh, at AIAA? Because I know, you know, it's at a for profit. It's that's you know we we start our year at Hurex and then two weeks into it we're like budgeting for the next year you know so it's like what, what, what's it like for you at a i double a <laughs> um it does feel like that some some years i'll tell you what um we at ABLA and this may be you know everyone does it different we we do annual budgets uh and so i think our process starts late spring super early summer our fiscal year starts on october 1 so uh of course our budgets have to be approved by our board of directors and that meeting mm -hmm. typically uh, takes place sometime in july august it, it fluctuates but we have to have our all of our numbers for the next fiscal year and by by, by the summer late summer so um but yeah i remember in the early again in the early 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 years you know, budget season would start in March. And it just seems like we just, for Pete's sake, we just, <laughs> we just started the yeah. new fiscal year. So, but it's, it, you know, processes have improved and, and management, different management, you know, manage things differently. So, and I'm grateful for it. So, yeah, it's, uh, but, you know, it's always, it's always for all the customers that may be listening. Uh, first of all, thank you always for your patience and kindness. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll have customers that say, hey, can you give us you know, three or five years out and pricing and that, and, the, and I have to unfortunately tell them uh, with very few exceptions, um, we, we just can't because we do our budgets annually and, and the prices of our products are built into our, are so closely aligned with our budgets that it's really hard for us to do that. So uh, I, again, I say that to all the customers listening. Out there. Uh, that leads me to another. So I'm assuming occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, that you will publish a book, um, and I'm going to focus on books here, but publish a book that maybe if you, it was at Elsevier, they might not publish it, but because say it's two of your members have written the book. I'm just going back again in my past when I was at a for-profit publisher, we, we published a two-volume, it's a medical book, very expensive. And I remember that our editor invited me to lunch to meet the author. And um, I, you know, 
just making small talk, trying to find out a few things. And I asked the author, uh, doctor, I said, can you just help me out? I'm selling your book all over the world, blah, 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 print book. I said, can you just give me a rough idea of the, the, the global audience? And I could see our, our editor got a fidgeted a bit in his seat and without missing a beat, the author said, that's easy, about a hundred. Oh, no. And, and so I, and then I knew we were printing a thousand to get the price down to like six hundred dollars, you know. Oh. But, um, but we weren't, but we were, we were not an association. So yeah. I just wondered if you occasionally, I don't want to say have to, but as part of the mission, publish certain things that might not get published at a for-profit publisher. Uh, yeah, that's a valid question. I would say we, as an association, have more flexibility to make those kinds of decisions. Uh, we always, of course, this is going to sound like a political answer, but really it's not. Um, we all, we always, of course, we do our research and want to make sure that it does turn a profit because otherwise, you know, our books program is at, at you know, at stake, but, but we do have more flexibility to say, okay, this may not be a 10,000 uh, unit sales run, uh, but, you know, it's a topic that, you know, we think our membership and our community really wants to hear about, and the authors are well-respected, they're experts in their field, and even though it's a, a very focused topic, so of course, you know, well, airspace mm -hmm. in general, aviation airspace, pretty niche, right? So we'll never be, you know, the Pearsons of the world that are selling, you know, a gajillion textbooks to, you know, high school students or anything like that, but um, uh, we do, we are able to make those kinds of choices when it's more of a, I won't say member service, but it's it's more of a community service or community focused than than the big guys. So, oh. and I think um, that's also what kind of makes us special too. And I think all yeah. your associations that publish books for a particular field would, would would say that that that's part of the benefit of either belonging to, knowing about, purchasing from an association is that they have the ability to do the books and the titles and the topics that have to be passed otherwise because they're too too focused. So. How has COVID affected your organization? And are you back in the office like one day a week or more or not yet? Sure. I feel like you can like, I feel like on this podcast, the folks you'll be talking to, I'm assuming you're asking this question of all your guests, they can just be a montage collection of the same answers just with different voices. Uh, well, yeah, so, I, I, I try to ask it in a little different way. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. You know. No, I get it. It's, it's, it's an important yeah. question. Yeah. So first of all, I will brag. Let me just brag about AIAA for a second. Um, our leadership is so fantastic. Um, they immediately said out of the gate when this, then when the pandemic first became even a whisper of a hint of a thing, they said, first of all, everybody's health and safety is priority one. And I'm sure all the associations said that too, but they really meant it. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I hope HR doesn't kill me. I remember being in a meeting to talk about you know, changes that are coming because of the pandemic. And I, it, it was probably, I don't know, late February when everyone was just starting to say, oh boy, this doesn't seem to be passing. It's not just a cold, which by the way, came out of my mouth in the early, in the early months. Oh, it's just like the flow. Turns out I was super wrong. Um, and so I remember saying something like, well, we should just 
all work from home. Like I was totally joking, right? Because I'm like, yeah. they're not, no, no, no business is going to allow that. And I remember looking at, bless her heart. She had, uh, she was our new HR lady and she had just like, it was her first week. And so she was barely getting names and acronyms. And um, I remember looking at her and she was kind of like, just kind of st- staring out into the abyss. And I thought to myself, I think, I think this might be a possibility. Like that's the read I got from her because clearly she had, and it, sure enough, like two weeks later, we get, <laughs> we get an email too dangerous, not worth risking health and safety for now. Everybody work from home. That's my story. Um, so how we're all doing again, back to how great our leadership has been. They've been fantastic. Uh, they, they made the decision late this summer um, that because our work from home productivity um, and success has been um, proven. Uh, certainly, that uh, they're all comfortable. Is that even with uh, even with you sneaking off to the mall a couple of days a week? Even with me going to you know Bora Bora for months on end, <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. dream. Um, uh, yeah. So they're they're right now. Our our policy is everybody works from home, but but um, starting after Labor Day, folks can come into the office whenever they want. How many? how many times they want, um, you know, whatever works best for the employee. And, uh, you know, obviously if you have meetings, certainly come in. Um, we have all hands meet, what we call all staff meetings every quarter to get updates. Um, but, but again, you know, they're not forcing anybody to come in the office if they don't feel safe. And uh, I, I would think that everybody or most of your folks might agree that, you know, things are still a little questionable in terms of this pandemic yeah. and, and, even with the vaccines and those kinds of things. I've just, uh, I know uh, I've talked to two people, now they're small uh, associations, but they're still uh, only one person can be in the office at a time. Sure. At any time, one person. So uh, one of the people likes it. The other person says it's kind of creepy. It is. But and I think there's others that are now are looking at January. You know, they're just, yep. I, I, but I also think it means things are going well, right? It's not, sure. it, it's all worked out. Um, yeah, that was, you know, I was going to our- just mention another, a little, sorry, just another, uh, my last, and I'm sure our, our listeners will just be, uh, this is what they live for. Um, <laughs> but, um, my last business trip was down to DC to see AIAA. And uh, I had uh, just a minor cold. I think I was still had a little cough. I think I probably suppressed it till I got back in the Uber uh, after our meeting. So yeah, I wouldn't scare anybody, but um, no, that was a lot. And I thought at that time, that was, early March, I think, first of March, roughly. And I thought, you know, I, I never thought this would happen, you know, like it did. So it happened pretty quick after that, but anyway. Um, so, so in related to pandemic, um, how about your conferences? I assume they've all been virtual. Are they still virtual, your annual conference? And- yeah, so AIAA puts on anywhere between three and five conferences a year, depending on the year, depending on the situation. Um, our last in-person conference was, now let me, let me make sure I get this right. 
What year are we in? SciTech, SciTech, which was held in January 2020. So, um, and then, and then what was March of 2020? We went, all went on lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. that was our last conference. So like everybody else that puts on events and forums, we had an, a forum, our next forum, I think, I think was held in, don't quote me on this, but I think it was held in June and talk about an insane scramble. Not only did we have to figure out new vendors and how to how to do these programs online only but everybody was working from home and when you're you know that i think we can all all attest that that takes some some serious adjustment so uh kudos to our it team we had all the resources almost immediately um because we had a, a telework policy one day a week before the pandemic so people were able to work from home before so it was just kind of slight adjustments that our it folks did but it was it, I, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know how our events team did it. They did a fantastic job. Um, for the most part, the, the, the attendees were, I think, grateful and had mostly nothing but really positive things to say. Uh, but then we had um, <laughs> we had another event in November that was online only. And the, for, I'm sorry to answer your question. This year for 2021, all of our events have been online only, um, with the exception of we have um, a conference, an event in November, Ascend 2021. Um, it's a relatively new conference for AIAA. Um, there will be um, a smaller in-person presence in Vegas uh, that they'll be doing. So um, they have put, they've, I've, I've been in meetings uh, where their, you know, COVID protocols, safety protocols are, you know, priority one. Um, and that's mm-hmm. challenging. And, and, and oftentimes, um, you know, there's an expense associated with that. So, uh, but uh, I know that they're working with really good hotel partners and those kinds of things. And then our big, our biggest conference, SciTech, again, that happens in January every year, uh, will be in San Diego in 2022. And right now, that is also going to be in person. Uh, but but mm-hmm. we're doing like everybody else, and we're doing a hybrid. So there will be a virtual component, and there will also be um, an in-person component. And that has been, that has its challenges too. I think uh, my guess is for at least, I'm going to say the next five years, all these big conferences will be ha- a hybrid. I, I just, I mean, I've talked, other people have said that, um, you know, to drop out for a week and go to San Diego, it, it's, it doesn't work. I mean, I mean, even, even with no pandemic, it's just, they can get all the sessions they want. It's just, so I think we're going to have hybrid. We had a guest yesterday in their annual conference. They're going to, it's a hybrid, but they're really going to try in person in November, this coming November. And as luck would have it, it's in New Orleans. And they said uh, the last time it was in New Orleans was right after Katrina. So they've got practice but uh, yeah, they have an extra challenge um, with that. Um, and so have you, I didn't really ask you about your uh, online education. I mean, is, has that kind of had to ramp up even more or? You know what? We have a staffer who's really, I know it just sounds like I'm bragging about my coworkers and I don't mean to sound you know, like ridiculous about that, uh, but he has taken that program to the next level. And, um, but it's relatively new. So that really didn't start like, like seriously kicking off for us 
um, until 2018 or so. Um, so uh, it's gangbusters now. I have some stats. We had live course registrants, uh, 230 in person and 252 online. And then for 21, they were all online, of course, and we had 873. Uh, so wow. he's yeah, so he was able to um, increase that uh, quite a bit, um, but yeah. So, but but we hope to continue that growth. We don't we don't necessarily can't we we don't specifically tie it to the pandemic. Though I'm sure there was there was some effects, but I also think it's mm-hmm. because in relation to that, he was building the program, he was adding courses, he was bringing on you know subject matter matter experts that people really wanted to hear from. So I, you know it's a, a little bit of both, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm not trying to sound negative. Back to your the annual conference, SciTech. That sure. that's your big one. Um, one of our customers, uh, and you know, Michelle, I'm still hoping one day that you'll be one of our customers. But that, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you wouldn't um, be doing your job, Scotty. Yeah, yeah, and then maybe you're hoping I'll, then quickly soon retire and then. Stop. It'll just be so. But they had um, last year their conference. um, This is a big group. They have 130,000 members. I won't say who, but um, last year, obviously virtual. This year, I guess it was in Orlando and they couldn't get out of it. So they really was more in person. I don't think they were really that set up to do virtual. They did a little bit. So uh, they were telling me it was in July and um, they were telling me that uh, actually they thought it was great. Sessions were good. You know, I said, well, how many do you usually get? Um, they, you know, it was like, we usually have seven or 8,000. And, um, and then they said, uh, and of course, when you're in a place like Orlando, people bring families and all that stuff. That's right. So I, I said, how many did you have? I mean, it was, they were very positive. How many did you have? And they said about 350. Oh. So uh, I know you guys will do better than that, but um, it's a, and I talked, we had another guest on uh, who the small meeting, but they had, um, I think they were hoping to get, you know, 500 people and they got a little over that. So they were ecstatic, you know? So, uh, but I, I still think, Back to Frankfurt again. That's the biggest petri dish in the world, right? So, <laughs> I just true. think they're having it this year. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know one person that's going. Of the people that I talked to, not really? one. Interesting. And they're okay. not even. A lot of them are not even exhibiting. So it's not just that they're not um, going. So yeah. yeah. So uh, my last uh, question. I I don't ask everyone, but I thought I'd ask you. What, what what do you think? What what does the future hold for books and ebooks? Since mm. oh, you need to ask somebody who. I'll tell you what. Well, you and I have been in this business long enough, uh, which is hard to believe because we're we're both so youthful looking. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> you know, first in the very long time ago in a galaxy far far away. My trademark infringement or copyright infringement intended. Um, we thought Amazon was going to kill the the book business, right? And Amazon. now they're a corporate sponsor in a roundabout way, aren't they? 
uh, aren't they for remember, remember <laughs> yes yeah. absolutely absolutely um but uh i golly i just remember so anyhow and then we thought also all of these online retailers do you remember the days sorry i'm gonna take it down memory lane do you remember going to a, a bea or a frankfurt and all these online uh booksellers would try to get your business and you know try to be an amazon other yeah. and uh and that was the thing. And they all went away and Amazon stayed. And then ebooks became, you know, the, the buzz. And we thought, oh, that's it. That's the end of print. <laughs> that mm -hmm. Print is doomed. We all have to, we all have to shift. And uh, that is yet to happen. Though I will say with the pandemic, I mean, and I know that that's, I'm speaking very generally here. Um, that uh, the, the the demand for ebooks specifically in textbooks has really increased because for a while there we didn't it, it was kind of staying for us it was kind of static in terms of yes we had an ebook program but it it wasn't seeing a lot of growth uh, and I would say probably in the last I don't know four five years Scott we've seen mm -hmm. significant growth right so um, but I I remember. Was it Penguin that did the? They did some interactive ebook, and I thought, how are we going to compete with this? And it was beautiful, and it, you could play with, you could touch it, and use uh, finger gesture. What is it called? Gestures. Um, you know, built for the iPhone kinds of things, and the iPad, and ah, uh, you move things, and everything was in three D. I thought there's no, I mean, the cost to produce that book, I, I don't even know what it was, but it was, yeah. it was insane. And I thought that's it. That's it. We're out of the book business. Um, that is yet to happen. Well, I think that it has to get there eventually. Uh, yes, but I have, I have stopped guessing as to, you know, a crystal ball would be lovely, but um, you know, in terms of timing. So uh, we're just going to focus on, uh, you know, working with our vendors to create really cool but cost-effective um, ebooks. It'd be nice to be at the front of the pack. I think all associate all 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 publishers want to be at the front of the pack, but um, you know there are some downsides to that. So and and I think you know going back to our budget question, one of the um, I don't know I don't know if it's really a negative, but it kind of is is that we we can't be as risky with our money and the projects that maybe for-profits can uh, because we just don't have the money. And uh, so, you know, we, we don't have the, the luxury of having that extra bucket of, you know, and even though um, leadership does encourage it, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, I can't dump $50,000 into a project on a hope uh, as a strategy. So there has to be- Well, and yeah, you can't, it's not like, I'm sure you can't, uh have this really cool uh, ebook, say a manual, whatever, and uh, with on every fifth page, a, a SpaceX pop-up or something, you know? Right. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, they, I'm sure they'd be very happy to work I'm with sure you on that, too. but that isn't going to happen. So That's right. I mean, yeah. we've kept advertisements out of our journals for that very reason. That's a really good point to make because as a member society, we have to be, you know, neutral. So, and we appreciate our corporate sponsors. Let me not <laughs> uh, diminish their, 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 their value, but when it comes to content, we have to be very careful too. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I can't thank you enough for being a guest today and part of the H Society podcast by Herix Digital. Did I ever tell you the H Society? H for Herix, 
Hansen. <laughs> and then I don't know what, what your third one, hepatitis, whatever, hematology. Um, but anyway. <clears throat> I just assumed uh, it was the, the Hansen show, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, it's it's a part, really Herox's part. So, uh, uh, but before I let you go, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions or might need some help and guidance or just want to uh, ask you some questions? Absolutely. You can visit AIAA's website at AIAA.org, and that's uh, will give you all kinds of good information. If you want to look at our content, our books and journals and meeting papers and standards, um, the platform is ARC, ARC.AIAA.org, and that's for you know access to all of our, our digital uh, content there. For anybody who wants to contact me, please reach out. Uh, email is Michelle with one L. Uh, and you can put this in the uh, description too, Scotty, if that helps. Uh, Michelle D, as in dog, at AIAA.org. Great. Uh, thanks again, Michelle. We hope this has helped our listeners gain some clarity on the AIAA. Should you have any questions about digital content platforms, online learning for your society or association, please check out our award-winning herex.com. That's H-U-R-I-X.com to learn more about how we help to manage it all securely. Don't forget to subscribe to the archive of the H Society's weekly podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening from. Visit herex.com for more information on our season one guests and future episodes. Uh, I'd also like to thank our executive producer, Bala, who, uh, without his help and guidance, um, I would only be half the star I am. That's it for today's episode. Everyone stay safe, healthy, and thank you again, Michelle. And to all our listeners, we'll be back again with another podcast soon. This is Scott Hansen saying goodbye and take care. Scott, thanks so much for having me and Hurricks for having me. It's been a real pleasure and I really enjoy doing this. So thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to the H Society podcast presented by Hurix Digital. Hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to make sure you never miss an episode. To learn more about the ways people are making their organizations valuable for their members through digital technology, publishing, and continuous education. Visit Hurix.com to learn more about future ready digital solutions for publishers, enterprises, nonprofits and educational institutions.